Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hey there, welcome to episode five of CRE Success, the podcast. We're into season two, and my special guest today is Laurie Rowlandson, who's the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at BGIS. She's our first guest that is based in Canada, so that's exciting. And also, she's really a very senior female leader in our industry. And interestingly enough, I actually recorded this interview one day after International Women's Day 2021. And I thought it'd be a good idea to also share with you that last season, we had six out of 20 episodes with female guests, but the most downloaded episodes for the first, second and fourth place were all with women. So even though women were underrepresented in the total number of episodes, they were overrepresented when it comes to the most downloaded episode. So this season, I'm having even more women on the show. It is a little bit harder to find female guests because our industry is not exactly a leader when it comes to equal gender representation, even though it's improving. But I know the numbers don't lie. I know that women do well when it comes to getting downloads and people listening to CRE Success, the podcast. So, hey, I say bring on the women. We'll be speaking to Laurie in just 30 seconds. 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. Credia is a business intelligence and analytics tool for commercial real estate professionals. Using real-time insights, track key portfolio metrics and benchmark against the market so you can make faster and well-informed decisions. With live dashboards and bespoke reporting, impress both your executive team and your property clients. It's time to turn data into your most valuable asset with Credia from Released. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Laurie, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Hi, Darren. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Laurie, the first question we do in every episode is we ask our guests to step into the virtual elevator and to give us their elevator pitch of who they are. So Laurie, tell me, who are you? Sure. Well, my day job is Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation for BGIS. But I'm secretly a super nerd. I love everything technology related. I love our profession and the people in it. And I'm just a voracious learner and I'm just so energized and excited by our profession. So how did you actually get into real estate? Well, you know what, Darren, I think a lot of people like myself were accidental real estate professionals, a crossover. I started my career in large outsourcing arrangements. They happen to be about a wide spectrum of topics. I got very, very good at vendor management and designing optimal outsourced arrangements, regardless of what type of service it was. And I just happened to fall into the real estate side. I loved it so much. And I crossed over formally to specialize in outsourcing and real estate, which blossomed into a whole bunch of derivative topics. So I was an accidental crossover into our profession. And since then, I've gone back to school and received a number of accreditations. So I probably at this point have now more certifications and accreditations in real estate related topics I have in what I started. What's played a bigger part in your advancement as a professional? Do you think it's more structured learning and institutional learning or has it been more on the job training? I think it has to be both and it's changing as we go forward. So what was, I'm towards the end of my career. 
when I started, a lot of it was just really surrounding myself with some really incredible leaders, just observing what they do, taking qualities that I admired from other people and making them my own. So I used to call it corporate tofu. (laughs) You know, you become the flavor of everything around you. But if you have to intentionally observe the characteristics or attributes of those people around you that you like and make them your own, that's sort of on-the-job mentoring and learning. And then eventually you progress to a point in your career where you're a senior executive and you're responsible for providing that thought leadership or that intelligence inside your organization. So there's perhaps very limited places inside the company that you would go. So you do have to go to the outside. So it's always a balance of both. But at some point, and as you get more senior, you're going to have to continue to rely on more external frameworks and sources. And then the last thing I'll say is we're about to have more change in the next nine or 10 years than we have in the last 50. By the year 2030, we'll be using technologies that haven't been invented yet. They'll be essential to our business. By 2035, 85% of the careers will be based on technologies and practices that, again, don't exist yet today. And that sounds a bit overwhelming until you realize that the iPad is only 11 years old and a lot happens in a decade. So now is the time more than ever to reinvent yourself with continuous learning. It's never a once and done. Everything is changing and moving much faster than I was through the duration of my career. So if you're at the beginning of your career, then it is really important to develop a great love of learning and find tools outside, whether that be books, podcasts, like this one, audiobooks, read every day in some format, whether it be LinkedIn or some virtual newspaper, but it's absolutely essential to your survival and your relevance in your career over the next 25 years. Brilliant advice. I think there are so many different formats that people can learn. There's no excuse if you don't like reading. There are plenty of other ways to consume content which fills your mind. Tell me about BGIS because I know they're a global service provider, but they're not in every country where we have listeners to this podcast. So I know they occupy a significant slice of the outsource market. Tell me about where they come from and where they operate. Yeah, sure. BGIS was actually born out of an original partnership of Brookfield, which is probably quite a well-known global company. We started as a Canadian company, but when I joined the company eight years ago, we had about 1,200 employees and we're just shy of 8,000 employees today. And we will be close to 15,000 employees by the year 2024. We've been able to carve out a very unique niche in the facilities management market. And we're not a brokerage-led outsourced organization like some of the big names. We are a technically-led organization, so driven by technology, data, and insight. Most of us are engineers. And so we have a very different approach. We're really built for that low revenue, recurring kind of business. We're really purpose-built for that versus big transactional kind of activities. And the message in the offering has really resonated with our clients. We now have clients in Canada, the US, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. And we're continuing to grow in other geographies, especially within those geographies that I mentioned. You mentioned facilities management and more technical expertise. Does BGIS exclusively work with occupiers or do they also do work for landlords? We exclusively today work with occupiers. I think that there is some minor exceptions around property management, 
that we do for some organizations and some geographies, which is a bit of a legacy, but certainly open to doing work for property managers. But right now, the predominance of our clients are occupiers of large real estate portfolios. Got it. Okay. And what is your role as head of strategy and innovation involved? Yeah, really my role is to help be the executive sponsor for our innovation program, right down to the clients and really where it matters. So when you work with engineers, engineers love to measure everything. (laughs) Innovation, it's interesting. When you look out there in the industry, there's an awful lot of innovation theater that happens where it sounds really good, but when you actually sort of look a little bit more below the covers there, maybe was a pilot once or it's implemented in one building and it's not a systemic or sustained presentation. It's done really more for marketing purposes. Well, engineers are not that way. We really want to move the needle and make a difference with our client's business. So we have a very process-driven, closed-loop, thorough approach towards ideation of innovation, how we cultivate it, how we test it and pilot, how we implement it, and how we measure the success. So I'm really the sponsor for helping with the intake and the development. I'm also sort of like an in-house consultant for our account teams as well as our clients on demand to help them really transform their businesses in what matters to them. Well, I know you referenced your commitment to lifelong learning, and I wanted to move across now to talk about your passion for building high-performing teams. What are some of the attributes that you're looking for when it comes to hiring team members to become part of your team? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. And I think a lot of people default to technical knowledge, which is important to some extent, but there's some other interpersonal skills that I always look for and test for. I think people have to be comfortable working in undefined realms, meaning If you are very process-driven and you like to have a playbook and a step-by-step to follow, this probably isn't the area for you because there often are not footprints to follow. You're creating the footprints and the blueprint for people to follow. Your problem-solving skills have to really be off the chart. You have to be able to explain complex or obtuse or abstract concepts in a simple and visual way. And that is very important to be able to get your message across. I think you'll have to have some understanding of data and data mapping and what metrics are important. And then I also look for other things like trust and rapport and emotional intelligence. You could be the smartest person out there, but if you're a little rough around the edges or maybe even a jerk, like nobody wants that person. That person doesn't have a place in a high-performing team. So trust and rapport and chemistry Are you complaining or are you solving? Are you contributing to breakthrough or are you detracting away from the progress? So I really look at how people's optimism and creativity, as well as their positivity and emotional intelligence and problem-solving skills all come to fruition. And then the last thing I'd say is one of the nicest compliments I ever received was, Lori, you like to have fun while we get things done. So meaning that it's a very results-oriented, very fast-paced area, a lot of pressure sometimes, but you've got to have a laugh while you're working really hard. And we spend more time at work than we do with our families. So you have to bring the joy in it. You have to bring some levity to those moments when you have tough things that you're solving. 
And that kind of emotional investment, when you get to the really tough stuff to discuss, you know, when you have that trust and rapport, then you're rallying around solving the problem and not blaming each other. And it makes for a very high performing team. So it's a combination of those characteristics that I look for in addition to technical skills. That's awesome. I love the no jerks allowed, bringing the joy. I've heard that expression from Brendan Burchard, who you and I have spoken about before. Can you just explain a little bit more how you can test for some of those more technical skills and the ability to communicate those? Can you give me an example of how you might be able to test for that in an interview or candidate selection process? Yeah, there are some tools that will help you with that, right? Like Thomas Profiling is one, Myers-Briggs. There's a number of tools in, in, at BGIS and our standard hiring practices. Because cultural fit is really important with our company, we have that as a mandatory part of our hiring process because it's not what you know, it's how you influence and how you relate. So we hire as much for cultural fit in our company as we do for technical expertise. I feel that's really important. And then the other thing is you can pick up on a lot of that in the conversations and the way that people present their ideas and their background. I always try to ensure that people you ask them a question that it's impossible for them to prepare for. So you get an honest answer and you don't get a rehearsed answer. You get them thinking in the moment and you really see the authenticity of who they really are when they're answering a question that they don't expect or get a little homework assignment that they expect. Their communication style says a lot about them. And their thought process as well, if they're being asked a question that they can't really anticipate. You got it. The way they communicate, whether they use personal pronouns, if they say things like my team and I did, and it was me, me, me versus the team and we, and how we solved this was together. You really get a lot of, if the person is high ego, or if they're a high analytic, or if they're high consensus oriented, you hear a lot about the way that they communicate tells you a lot about who they are. Well, let's talk about thought leadership and content. Specifically, you've really curated the position of being a thought leader in the industry outside of your day job, or perhaps to augment your responsibilities at BGIS. You're an author, a speaker, a podcaster, and an influencer in the industry. And I've noticed you have quite a big following on social media platforms. Nowadays, there's so much content out there and it's easy to get drowned out by all the noise. So what are some ways that you get your message to cut through? That's a great question. One of the ways that I really cut through is I try not to be boring, try to differentiate, try not to sound like a washing machine of all of the information that's already out there. So I always try to find something and put my little twist on it. And anybody who works with me knows that, like I said, I like to have fun while I get things done. We like to have a laugh. Obviously, it has to be appropriate, professional within work parameters. But things that really make people smile or get to the point in a very different way with an image, just something that stands out and doesn't sound like everybody else. And I think that's really important. So one is differentiate, find your own voice in a way that captures people's attention. Don't be a washing machine of the same old information that's out there. And I do share a lot of articles for my colleagues and I just share them without layering on my opinion. But When I do post my original posts, you can definitely hear my personality. When you read my book, it sounds like I'm having a conversation with you versus reading a textbook. I feel that's really important because business books can be a little dry. 
And it's really important to get that across with some authenticity. And in a way, you hear the humanity behind it. And these are things that people are facing. So when you acknowledge and you recognize and you appreciate and people understand the transparency and authenticity of that, I think that's another part of an important ingredient as well as maybe humor, but also authenticity and transparency. Nobody can relate to a textbook. They can relate to somebody who's had a struggle and overcome it because that's everybody. At the time of recording, it's one day after International Women's Day. What does the day mean to you? This is such an important day to me, especially when I started in my career, there wasn't a lot of discussion around diversity. There weren't a lot of women. In fact, almost all of my mentors growing up were men, and I'm so grateful for their sponsorship. This is something that's a personal passion of mine. I do a lot of advocacy for women in prop tech, women in corporate real estate. And this is something I continue to advocate inside our company as well as in our industry. And so this is a really big day for women in our profession, women everywhere. So we've continued to expand the events that we've had in the company. I'm so proud to say that it just started as one small event. We didn't do a lot before I joined. It started as a small event, became eventually over time a global event. And just yesterday in Canada, our Toronto event alone maxed out at over 500 participants. We literally got thousands of participants in our International Women's Day event. And I'm just so proud to sponsor women. They often need different type of coaching and mentoring. And I'm happy to raise awareness on that. And my favorite book on this topic is Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg that really talks about the unique characteristics that women in leadership would benefit from. I often recommend or gift that book out to a number of people, but it's a big day. Well, she's the COO of Facebook, right? Or was? Yes, that's right. Yeah, she was the CEO, I think. Mark was on the board, but I don't think she's there anymore. But she did write that book while she was at Facebook and raising children. I think she was the first CEO that was pregnant and hired, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So anyway, she has a lot of really sensible advice for women in leadership that I think is terrific. I'm really interested in a number of specific topics, like often women are subject to perfection paralysis, and they're worried about being criticized, or they're afraid to fail, and they become workaholics. They get perfectionitis, or they don't actually make a decision because they want it to be perfect before they send it out there, or they can't say no. So there's a number of things that we look at as part of the unique development needs of women in leadership to make sure that they're successful. So as a senior leader in the industry, what responsibility do you specifically have to help other women who are looking to rise in commercial real estate? I feel a strong responsibility to help lead in an example and not just successful in the career, but with authenticity and a different voice. When I started my career, I don't think I've ever told this story in a podcast, but I was a very young new manager a very young woman in a male-dominated profession. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of direction. I didn't know what to do. So I thought that when you were a manager, you had to be, you know, a bit more stern and you had to be very firm about when you're asking for things and on time. So a little bit hard, just so that, you know, really emasculate yourself as a woman or neutralize yourself so that you would be more acting more like the stereotype of a man. And forgive me, I was in my early 20s and I've learned a lot since then. 
So I started in my first management position to be a little bit mean and tough. And guess what? That didn't go over very well. So I really wanted women to really find their authentic voice. And as soon as you switched over to being an authentic leader and being open, constructive, willing to admit things, willing to have conversations about different things, it really changed the game. So it made me realize that women in leadership admit very different characteristics than men. And it's not just about copying a stereotype of what you think men leaders should be. It's finding your own voice and showing women leaders that it's okay. You don't have to make yourself the masculine version of yourself. Be yourself and just have great advice and just be your authentic self. So I tried to do that. And I do that by being funny when I talk at events. You know, as long as it's appropriate, you have a bit of humor. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't just be a dry, boring leader. Nobody wants that. It doesn't matter what gender you are. Thank you for sharing that story. For the men who are listening who want to be a positive force for change, what would you recommend that they can specifically do to help other women in the industry? I love this question. And I always make a point of ensuring men feel welcome or even speak at a lot of our International Women's Day events. Because like I mentioned, Darren, most of my mentors almost entirely were men. And so men can play a great role with sponsorship of women, mentoring of women, developing of women, just making sure that they're supporting the unique development needs and being a mentor to women and being a sponsor for women. And that's gender neutral. Anybody can do that. If they could reach out and support women in that way, I think that would be part of the solution for sure. Okay, Laurie. Well, if our audience would like to connect with you and follow your content, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Darren. Well, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I've gotten connected to many of you already on LinkedIn, but you can follow me on LinkedIn. I've got maximum connections, but you can certainly follow me and benefit from all of the news and information that I share. You can also listen to my podcast on any of the big platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, all on your favorite podcast platform. What's the name of the podcast? It's called Leading Innovation at Work. Awesome. Well, Laurie, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to be our special guest on this episode of CRE Success, the podcast. It's my pleasure, Darren. And thank you so much for the great service you do for our industry. I'm a big fan of CRE Success and great listener. So it's really a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Well, thank you, Laurie, for being with us on this episode. I really appreciated Laurie sharing that story, which she says she's never shared on a podcast before about her being a young leader, finding her leadership style. And I really think leadership matters for everyone, right? It doesn't matter if you're a leader who's in charge of managing others, or maybe you're managing clients, or maybe you're just managing yourself. But I think leadership really does matter for everyone in the industry. It's why I've developed the seven P's of commercial real estate leadership, which I roll out in a module of CRE Success membership. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about leadership and how it applies in commercial real estate, really encourage you to go back and listen to season one of the podcast. There's so many great commercial real estate leaders who share what leadership means to them. A few episodes that come to mind would be episode seven with Rob Ed of Unispace, number 14 with Shelley Boland of Standard Chartered Bank, 
and also number 16 with Jeff Moxham of Ray White Commercial, but many, many more. If you haven't listened to season one of CRE Success, the podcast, really encourage you to go back and have a listen. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at cresuccess.co. Now the world of work has changed, everyone's looking for new ways to add flexible working into their plans and portfolios. Hub Australia is the national expert in premium flexible workspaces that offer five-star hospitality service. Hub Australia is already partnering with leading developers, Brookfield and Amalgamated Property Group to deliver the future of work for their tenants. Head to hubaustralia.com to learn more about Australia's leading flexible workspace experts.